All right, so 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. says, In in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. And he struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. You know, King Hosea was the king that was taken, just to give you a little understanding, that was taken into captivity by Assyria, along with, of course, the the whole of the northern kingdom. Now, Israel was besieged three years after Hezekiah began to reign in Judah. So, three years into King Hezekiah's reign of Judah, this is when Assyria began to besiege the northern kingdom. And three years later, they were conquered and taken away to Assyria. So this is six years into Hezekiah's reign. The Assyrians we know, as we studied last week, the Assyrians, what they did was, as they took the Israelites away, they also brought in other peoples from the surrounding nations to repopulate Samaria with foreign people in order to further weaken and permanently change the hearts of all the people in that region to favor the Assyrian reign and authority. Well, Hezekiah was a witness to all of this, knowing the northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrians. And I was thinking, perhaps this is one of the reasons Hezekiah chose to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. You know, sometimes negative motivation helps us act in the right way. Remember, others' hindsights can serve as our foresight. What someone else has endured, has experienced, if it, if it was as a consequence of something that they had done, I hope that we are smart enough to look at something like that and choose to go a different path. But sometimes we're foolish enough to go down the same path and think that perhaps we're not going to deal with the same consequences. You know, I'm the oldest of three. And I do remember how it was that my, hopefully my younger, I think the, maybe the youngest learns most because he sees the errors of the oldest and then the other one and the others before him. And and, and they see the errors of their ways, right? They get disciplined. And they either get smarter and don't get caught, <laughs> or they, uh, they learn from that, and in uh, that way they don't deal with the same consequences. But we know that in the eyes of the Lord, there's nothing that's hidden. You know, we may be able to hide something from mom or dad, but there's no way that we can hide anything from our God. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. But we also need to understand this, that obedience is preferred over sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. We can go into why it is that obedience is better than sacrifice, but quite simply it's this. Disobedience is what results in the need for a sacrifice. Um, 
disobedience is, is idolatry. It's holding oneself above that which is of God, whether it's his word or simply, well, it's his word is, is the bottom line. And so we hold something else above the word. Well, Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and we see exactly what he did to stop the uh, facilitating the, of the practice of idolatry among the people that he was entrusted to lead. He did several things as we read through it. I'll list them out for us. Number one, he removed the high places. Number two, he broke the pillars and cut down the ashram. Number three, he destroyed the bronze serpent. <clears throat> now, a little background with the bronze serpent. That goes back to the time of Moses. Uh, this is referenced in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. This is a sad commentary on the people of God, on the Israelites, because the, the people, see, this was not something that should have been made into an idol, something that was worshipped. In fact, they would sacrifice to this bronze serpent. This is, this is quite ridiculous. In fact, according to John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it was a representation of Jesus Christ on the cross. But these people made it into an idol. Listen, you and I can turn anything into an idol. That's why our hearts have to be completely devoted, committed to Jesus Christ in His glory alone. We can turn anything into an idol. We can turn our spouse into an idol. We can turn our children into idols. Our grandchildren definitely into idols. We can turn education into an idol. We can turn our house, our possessions, our hobbies, and even this obsession with pleasure and rest. These are all things that we can, we can really construct and, and turn into these, these idols and, and worship that and think that we can get satisfaction and contentment out of those things. But listen, we, we are to love God more than mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter, husband or wife, your spouse, all of those. So if you're replacing or compromising because of any of the above, then guess who your God is? You're no better than the Israelites who bowed down to this bronze serpent for all of these years and sacrificed to it. Hezekiah did something else. He also rebelled against the attempted op oppression of the king of Israel. Something good, right? He struck down, fifthly, he struck down and pushed back the Philistines all the way to Gaza. And this was all in response to Hezekiah's love for God. He, he did all of this because of his heart that was inclined in position to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He removed and destroyed everything he knew was facilitating the worship of false gods for the sake of the people and Hezekiah not only acknowledged this to be disobedience and sinful, but he acted on his love for the Lord by turning away from it and not having anything to do with doing anything that would facilitate or encourage others to commit idolatry. He was the one who was the king. He was entrusted with the welfare of the people of God. They didn't belong to him. It was a stewardship. Listen. We can acknowledge sin all we want. But if we don't do anything about it, it does us no good. We need to acknowledge, not only acknowledge, but we need to confess and repent from it. We need to turn. But it's not just a momentary turning away from that sin. It has to be a continuous turning away. It has to be deliberate. It has to be who we are. And it cannot become part of who we are. Unless we practice that repentance on a daily basis. At some point, it just becomes part of who you are. And then the Lord will show you something else that you need to turn from. And then you continue on down that path. Leaders within the church should always nurture their love 
of God. By, and, and, I, and I say leaders because I'm looking at King Hezekiah. But I have to say that this also applies to everyone else. But even more so, the leaders within the church. This is what is, is, should be something that's expected of the leadership. And that is the nurturing of their love, their relationship with God by reading, studying, praying, serving, and by carefully guarding against idolatry, which can creep in and ruin a person's worship of God and therefore ruin the worship that is among the people of God. If, if idolatry can creep into the leadership of a church, just know that it's going to be among the people. It's just going to be a part of the culture, whatever it may be. Hezekiah also, as we acknowledge here, number one, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 5, it says here, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. So first of all, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Secondly, he held fast to the Lord. For verse 6, he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Number one, trusted in the Lord. Number two, held fast to the Lord. This means that there was, number one, that the first comment about Hezekiah means there was a point of Hezekiah exercising his will. He willed. He decided to. He chose to trust in the Lord. And secondly, from that point on, he continually believed in him and trusted him. There was no pause. There was no relaxing of that trust of the Lord. He held fast to him, which means he continually trusted in him. Believing in him. And he demonstrated this by being obedient to him. And what was the result? We see it here. Verse 7 says, And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. This is a response to. These were the consequences of him trusting in the Lord and holding fast to him and obeying his commandments. You know, in Joshua chapter 1, It just sounds similar. Verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm chapter 1. Let's see if this is consistent through the word. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does... He prospers. This is why I tell you often. Through all of God's word, pay attention to God's character. His word, he is faithful. He's consistent the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent. And after a while of being in his word, you'll see what is pleasing to him. You'll know it. And also what is not. What is being obedient to his commandments and what is being disobedient to his commandments. This was true of Hezekiah because it is true, period. It applied to Hezekiah in his day just as it it applies to us today. 
It is as God says it is. That's why I love, as we get into God's word, as we come to understand God's word, we can apply it consistently because God is consistent and he's faithful. Verse 9 says, In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of the three of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. Well, as we saw what was true in Judah, as we saw what was true with King Hezekiah, we hear, see how it is that as Israel did opposite to what Hezekiah did in Judah, the opposite also is true as far as there's blessings and then there's cursings, there's consequences. To either one, we reap what we sow. After three years of King Hezekiah's reign in Judah, the king of Assyria came and besieged Israel and did so for three years, as we said at the very beginning. And finally, they were so weakened that they surrendered. They were taken captive by the king of Assyria because they had rejected. And this is the thing is we understand why the Lord says in verse 12, because they did not obey the voice of of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. So we know why it was that these things happened. Because they rejected God, disobeyed his word, and the people broke their promise to observe God's word. The people got to the point where they weren't even considering God's word. They they didn't even want to hear it. It is a dangerous thing. If we ever get to the point where we harden our hearts to the point to where we don't even want to hear God's word. Don't don't bring me God's word. I don't want to hear God's word. Have any of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but, but think about this. And you know this to be true. If you've been in such a dark, backslidden place to where you are miserable... And you just, you don't want to hear it. You know what God's word says. You do not want to hear it. That's where they were. They actually detested God's word in its entirety. And even less, why would they obey it? It really sounds like much of the world today. And even seeing the word being disregarded within the local church may not be so in our own hearts. May we not be a church that is not humble, a church that does not subject ourselves to the authority of God's word. I pray that we would be under the authority of God's word in its entirety. Even if it's humiliating, even if it's something that breaks us, it's okay. Because our God restores us too. You know, as we read the first three verses of Psalm 1, at this point we can read the last three of Psalm 1, which says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the righteous will prosper. The way of the wicked will perish. The Lord uh, actually gave Israel over to the nations they followed. And it made me think of, uh, of Romans chapter 1. You know, we have no excuse. No, nobody has any excuse as far as who the Lord is. 
uh, verse 21 of Romans chapter 1, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And it goes on from there. The Lord gave the people that he had placed, placed his name on, and he gave them over. Don't think that we're any different. If we continue to push, if we continue to compromise, if we continue down this path of being lukewarm and kind of half in the Walking with the Lord, I can't even say the church, but just just walking with the Lord and, and half walking with the world. And at some point, he may choose for your own good to just give you over to the very thing that you actually lust after. This is what happened with Israel. Now let's continue though. Verse 13, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Zennacherib, king of Israel, uh, Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of that king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Now, this is an interesting portion of Hezekiah's life, given the fact um, that we've learned about his faithfulness just previous to this. Did he not trust the Lord? Did he not hold fast to the Lord? Did he, did he not depart from following anything else and clung to the Lord? And, and so we know that Hezekiah behaved differently up to this point. He kept God's commandments and he led the nation into a place of being basically at that point, uh, as far as he was concerned, he was at a point to where they weren't worshiping idols. They didn't have the high places, the Asher's. They didn't have all these. They didn't even have the bronze serpent. None of that. But although Hezekiah may have been strong at some point, the Lord allowed the fortified cities to fall to Assyria. When everything was going good, imagine this. Hezekiah was doing everything right. He was doing everything right. But the Lord allowed in that place, in that time, for the fortified cities to fall to Assyria. When everything was going good, Hezekiah's relationship with the Lord was apparently all a blessing. But we need to pay attention to what happened when things got a little sideways. 
Hezekiah at this point thought that perhaps he, could, he, should, he should perhaps take matters into his own hands. Since it appeared that God was not protecting these cities that were being taken captive by the king of Assyria. At this point, even though the king of Assyria at Lachish had told him, this, this is what you can give me. He saw these fortified cities fall. At this point, he thought, perhaps the Lord's hand is against me. And it's time to take matters into my own hands. And perhaps I can buy my way out of this difficult situation. I can kind of barter with the silver and gold and all the monies that were in the treasuries of the king's house and found in the house of the Lord. I mean, they even stripped the doors of the gold that they were overlaid with, the silver. This was all an offering to avoid being taken captive by the king of Assyria. But this was also all compromise. Again, something people tend to do in difficult situations to preserve ourselves, to preserve our lives. But let me ask you this. What are our lives worth if we are compromising to the enemy? Do our lives belong to us? I tell you, brothers and sisters, we we live very cush, very comfortable. We dare not be inconvenienced or, 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 or be pushed or anything like that. Otherwise, you know, who knows? You may leave the church. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we we need to be stronger. We need to think. We need to be mindful of the things of God. When difficult situations are presented to us, we need to not seek to preserve our own lives. We ought to lose our lives. Lose ourselves for the sake of the glory of God. Whatever that cost may be. I'm telling you, whatever that cost may be, you need to be willing to even lay your life down for the sake of not compromising. Be very aware of this tendency and think about your reactions to an event or situation that is difficult. Make sure your response is not compromise. And instead, that you express faith in God and straight, stay true to his word. This is what Hezekiah did. Remember, he was a man who did right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. And at this point, he was tried and found wanting. And he made this offering to an authority of another nation. Perhaps this will get me out of this trouble. Perhaps this is enough. And then the Assyrians showed up again. The Rabshakeh. It's not the name of a person. It's the title of a person. It's the field commander of the Assyrian army. And he was the representative of the king of Assyria. And he came. And he came. Get this. He was allowed to come in all the way into Jerusalem. Not only all the way into Jerusalem, but he came all the way to the very place that was the most vulnerable for the city. They had just besieged Samaria for three years and then took him captive. And the lifeline to Jerusalem was right where he was, where all the water was running. This man stood in a place he never should have been allowed to stand. He is the enemy of Judah. He is the enemy of Israel. He walked right into the city and stood right by the supply of water that was crucial to the life of the people. (laughs) How many times have we, spiritually speaking, allowed the enemy to come right into our lifeline and we give him that place? And remember, Assyria had just 
been besieged, or Assyria had just besieged Israel and taken them captive. The first error was offering anything, anything to the enemy. It speaks of not trusting in God. The second error was allowing the enemy to have a presence among them. Because when they were given that place, they were given an opportunity to manipulate and deceive because the enemy can do so more effectively when he's brought near. King Hezekiah did not come out, but he sent his representatives to speak on his behalf, as we saw there, as we read. But they were also, thankfully, they were also given specific instructions on how to respond to this group that was being that had been sent by the king of Assyria, which their instructions, specific instructions, offer no response whatsoever, but only to report what they say. Verse 19. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? And whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria, I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. This would be an intense scene, wouldn't it? This whole time reminds me of Goliath in the valley mocking the God of Israel. This man mocked Hezekiah, but what we need to understand is he he mocked God. But he was belittling Hezekiah. Where's your trust? This object of trust must be worth something if you have somehow, through it, found courage to rebel against Assyria. You offer words. And this is how Hezekiah, or how Rabshakeh started. He, he said, words? You offer words? Offering? No words or offering will suffice. Egypt? Are you trusting in Egypt? It's weak. And remember that it turns on anyone who trusts in it. Pharaoh is like that. You trusting in the Lord? Well, he was saying, hasn't Hezekiah made it very difficult to worship the Lord your God? Took down all the high places, all these places around. He said, the only place that that you are to worship is here in Jerusalem. Well, no, that's not what Hezekiah said. That's what the, the Lord our God said. It is true, though. Trusting in a compromising word to appease the enemy will never do. Trusting in another ruler or authority will never do. And believing that the worship of God in spirit and truth isn't good enough because it's too difficult, too narrow, and somehow a leader that restricts your worship to what God has prescribed is making it too hard for you to worship. Why can't we just... Do whatever 
Right? Why, can, why do we have to make such a big deal out of the blasphemy that comes out of the worship in the churches such as Bethel and Hillsong and in places like that? Why do we have to make such a big deal? Isn't there salvations that come out from there? No, it's a heresy. We are to, spirit, to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's according to God's word. So we won't so much as play a Hillsong song or a Bethel song because we don't want a dime going toward their groups. Can't even call, can't call them a church because it's not the actual church. I'm not restricting your worship. I just want to make sure that we as a church are on the right path. We have to restrict it to whatever it is that God prescribed. So he was saying something that was true, but he was making it sound like something that it wasn't. These are all the tactics of the enemy. And the question for us is, are you prepared to be criticized? Are you? Are you prepared to be criticized? Are you prepared to be tested, confronted? When you are scrutinized, how will you respond? That's very important. How about when the enemy begins to demoralize you and tempt you to compromise? Are you ready for that? This guy was telling Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah that they were so weak, and he continued on with this mocking of them. He said, you guys are so weak that even if you gave, we gave you 2,000 horses and you had people that were able to mount them, you couldn't stand up against Assyria. And one last word. Perhaps this man knew that Hezekiah was not trusting in the Lord when he sent the gold and from the treasury of the king's house. He sent him all this. Because he accused Hezekiah of coming up against him. Perhaps you think that, that I am coming to you without the Lord. But the Lord actually told me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, we need to understand this. The Lord was using Assyria to judge Israel. But Assyria needed no word from God to go up against Israel or Judah. Against any of them. No one who hates God and his people needs a word from God in order to go up against his people. But this is a lie that the enemy uses in order for God's people to play the victim and surrender, believing there is no use in fighting against the enemy because the Lord is using the enemy to bring judgment upon me. A person is defeated when they believe that God is against them and everything bad that happens is because God is angry at them. Stop. Please stop. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's those trials that make a man or a woman of God. You are being tested. And whatever comes out, it's either... Right on. It's, it's right on with what the word says. You are being found faithful or it comes out. And you should recognize it for what it is. Oh, it's not of God. I need to turn from this. Listen, God desires for you to confess and repent. Turn from your evil ways and turn to him. But the enemy will whisper, stay down. Stay down. But don't. The Lord doesn't desire you to stay down. Proverbs 24, 15, and 16 says, Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. And we all know 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is what was being done to them. Verse 26 says, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, 
Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine? The, the enemy, if he wants to demoralize you, he will not be kind. It will come straight at you. Listen, the, the leaders, the ones that were sent by Hezekiah, they didn't want the people to hear what this man had to say. And so they asked him to speak in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. It was customary, by the way, in that day to speak in Aramaic among the well-educated people, uh, perhaps to uh, negotiate in a time like this. And so it would be customary to ask for, the, for it to be spoken in Aramaic. But this man had no intention uh, of being polite, uh, of being PC. There's no way. I'm sure Eliakim, Shebna, and Joe all knew that if they continued in this fashion, the people's hearts would melt with fear and they would pressure King Hezekiah to surrender to the Assyrians. You start getting pressure from, from within. Oh, that's so difficult. It comes from the right, comes from the left. Everyone is saying, hey, listen, we're in this point to where we need to preserve our own lives in the future of this nation. These leaders knew that. But the Rabshika made it very clear that he wanted them all to hear, all to listen. He wanted them all to understand what he was saying. And he offended them all and did everything he could to strike fear in the heart of the people. That's exactly what he wanted to do. If the people started to murmur and complain because they were discouraged and were filled with fear, not holding to any hope whatsoever, then it would be easy for Assyria to have victory over them and to bring them into captivity. It would be a destruction from within. It would be an undermining of their very hope that they once had in the Lord. In fact, it's as if he was encouraged to speak to the people directly, as we see here. Verse 28, Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, uh, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? This man appealed to the people. And as we saw there, he was being very direct. He was being very deceptive. He was manipulating their emotions. He was driving them to despair if they opposed Assyria. He was telling them, your king, don't trust him. Don't be deceived by Hezekiah. Because he will not be able to save you, even though he says he'll be able to deliver you out of my hand. He will not be able to. Don't let him fool you into trusting that God will save you either. But listen, you still have time to trust in the king of Assyria. You still have time to surrender and save your life, preserve it. You still have time to live in peace and harmony and with prosperity. 
We'll give you a little something here. And then when we take you out and take you into our land, there's going to be plenty. It's that carrot that's dangled before you. It's better. Come to this side. Surrender. Compromise. Consider this. Have any, any of the other nations' gods saved them from Assyria? And this is what he was all putting in their, in their minds and in their hearts. And then he finally told them, why do you think Jerusalem is any different? It won't be any different. His speech was designed to glorify the king of Assyria. Doubt the king of Judah. Doubt God. And doubt God's power. Words. They can be very powerful. That's why we need to be discerning. We need to be wise. We need to know what's true and what is false. Because these words were designed to make the people take their eyes off the Lord and place them on what destruction was being described and believed in the in in the the whole opposition of Assyria would would come to but he was also presenting to them the solution to all this this is how you can preserve yourself but his fear that was being driven deep into the heart of those in Jerusalem those in Judah but we are reminded of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. You see, Satan and his minions are all liars. And any, anyone who, is, who gives themselves to, to lying, to deception and manipulation in a drawing away from the Lord, actually, the Lord in John chapter 8 was referring to these people who were lying to the people. And he said, your father is the devil, Satan. And he is the father of lies. That's who he is. We either express the character of God or the character of Satan. There's no in-between either. But this is what this guy was doing. He was lying. He was manipulating. He was deceiving them. But this was their response. (coughs) Verse 36. But the people were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Silence. No answer. I was thinking too many people try to engage with the devil and his accusations, his mockery. Try and argue. Try and oppose. Now, you know, excuse me, the greatest strength I have seen with people is when they get a barrage of accusations of just foul stuff that comes their way and they're just silent. At some point when you discern that (coughs) excuse me it's demonic it's just not something that's of the Lord then you should, like they were instructed to do, <clears throat> just remember this. Do not answer him. Don't answer him. You don't need to. <clears throat> you owe that person or persons or whatever. You don't owe them an answer. <clears throat> Let the Lord fight that battle. You just continue on. Put your hand over your mouth. And I remember... <clears throat> This phrase, there, there needs to be sometimes a holy hush. Just a holy hush. 
You're not being arrogant. You're not being prideful. You're just acknowledging what it is. And there's just, I'm going to put my hand over my own mouth. Job did that. At one point, he put his hand over his mouth. He said, I'm not going to answer you at all. You are God. Listen, put a hand over your mouth because demonic logic is a logic of destruction and death. And it will never rise to the level of truth. The king instructed them well not to say a thing. It is good not to say anything in response and instead humbly seek the Lord, his word, and by his spirit be led to what is true and just simply stand on it. So remember, Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord but faltered in his trust of God. He did falter. We can too. Take that into consideration and take matters and and we can be inclined to take matters into our own hands. Instead, trust God be decisive, and hold fast to him continuously. That is preferred. For God prefers obedience over sacrifice. Father, we thank you, Lord, for how good you are. Lord, we are so grateful for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, even in a, <clears throat> in a chapter such as what we just studied this evening, Lord, how it was that there are so many lessons that we could take from this in regards to um, how is that the enemy makes an attempt to undermine our faith. And even when we are found to be wanting, Lord, we can still, instead of trying to engage the enemy, we can just remain silent and humbly seek you. And so I pray that that would be true of your people. And so, Father, we Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We ask, Lord, that this word would resonate in our hearts. All to your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name.